I have quite a bit of allergies this week, and so I may sound like I have a cold. Please bear with me as these voices might change a little bit and may not sound exactly the way they have before. The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis, Chapter 6, A Good Night's Work. About four hours later, Tyrion flung himself into one of the bunks to snatch a little sleep. The two children were already snoring. He had made them go to bed before he did because they would have been up most of the night and he knew that at their age, they couldn't do without sleep. Also, he had tired them out. First, he had given Jill some practice in archery and found that, though not up to Narnian standards, she was really not that bad. Indeed, she had succeeded in shooting a rabbit, not a talking rabbit. Of course, there are lots of ordinary kind about in Western Narnia. And it was already skinned, cleaned, and hanging up. He had found that both children knew all about this chilly and smelly job. They had learned that kind of thing on their great journey through giant land in the days of Prince Rillian. Then he had tried to teach Eustace how to use his sword and shield. Eustace had learned quite a lot about sword fighting on his earlier adventures, but that had been all with a straight Narnian sword. He had never handled a curved Kalorman scimitar, and that made it hard, for many of the strokes are quite different, and some of the habits he had learned with the longsword had now to be unlearned again. But Tyrion found that he had a good eye and was very quick on his feet. He was surprised at the strength of both children. In fact, they both seemed to be already much stronger and bigger and more grown up than they had been when he first met them a few hours ago. It is one of the effects which Narnian air often has on visitors from our world. All three of them agreed that the very first thing they must do was to go back to Stable Hill and try to rescue Jewel the Unicorn. After that, if they succeeded, they would try to get away eastward and meet the little army which Runewit, the centaur, would be bringing from Caeparavel. An experienced warrior and huntsman like Tyrion can always wake up at the time he wants. So he gave himself till nine o'clock that night and then put all worries out of his head and fell asleep at once. It seemed only a moment later when he woke but he knew by the light and the very feel of things that he had timed his sleep exactly. He got up, put on his helmet and turban. He had slept with his mail shirt on, and then took the other two, shook the other two, till they woke up. They looked, to tell the truth, very gray and dismal as they climbed out of their bunks, and there was a good deal of yawning. Now, said Tyrion, we go due north from here, and by good fortune tis a starry night, and it will be much shorter than our journey this morning, for then we went round about. But now we shall go straight. If we are challenged, then do you two hold your peace, and I will do my best to talk like a cursed, cruel, proud lord of Kalorman. If I draw my sword... Then thou, Eustace, must, must do likewise, and let Jill leap behind us, and stand with an arrow on the string. But if I cry home, then fly for the tower, both of you, and let none try to fight on, not even one stroke. After I have given the retreat, 
such false valor has spoiled many notable plans in war. Now, friends, in the name of Aslan, let us go forward. Out they went into the cold night. All great northern stars were burning above the treetops. The north star of that world is called the spearhead. It is brighter than our pole star. For a time they could go straight towards the spearhead, but presently they came to a dense thicket so that they could so that they had to go out of their course to get around it. And after that, for they were still overshadowed by branches, it was hard to pick up their bearings. It was Jill who set them right again. She had been an excellent guide in England, and of course she knew her Narnian stars perfectly, having traveled so much in the wild northern lands, and could work out the direction from other stars even when the spearhead was hidden. As soon as Tyrion saw that she was the best pathfinder of the three, he put her in front, and then he was astonished to find how silently and almost invisibly she glided on before them. By the main, he whispered to Eustace, this girl is a wondrous wood maid. If she had Dryad's blood in her, she could scarce do it better. She's so small, that's what helps, whispered Eustace. Eustace. But Jill from in front said, shh, less noise. All around them, the wood was very quiet. Indeed, it was far too quiet. On an ordinary Narnian night, there ought to have been noises. An occasional cheery good night from a hedgehog, the cry of an owl overhead, perhaps a flute in the distance to tell of fawns dancing, or some throbbing, hammering noises from dwarves underground. All that was silenced. Gloom and fear reigned over Narnia. After a time, they began to go steeply uphill, and the trees grew further apart. Tyrion could dimly make out the well-known hilltop and the stable. Jill was now going with more and more caution. She kept on making signs to the others with her hand to do the same. Then she stopped dead still, and Tyrion saw her gradually sink down into the grass and disappear without a sound. A moment later, she rose again, put her mouth close to Tyrion's ear, and said in the lowest possible whisper, Get down, the better. She said thee for see, not because she had a lisp, but because she knew that the hissing letter S is part of a whisper most likely to be overheard. Tyrion at once lay down, almost as silently as Jill, but not quiet, for he was heavier and older. And once they were down, he saw how from that position you could see the edge of the hill sharp against the star-strewn sky. Two black shapes rose against it. One was the stable, and the other, a few feet in front of it, was a Kalorman sentry. He was keeping very ill watch, not walking or even standing, but sitting with his spear over his shoulder and his chin on his chest. 
Well done, said Tyrion to Jill. She had shown him exactly what he needed to know. They got up, and Tyrion now took the lead, very slowly, hardly daring to breathe. They made their way up to a little clump of trees, which was not more than forty feet away from the sentinel. Wait here till I come again, he whispered. If I miscarry, fly. Then he sauntered out boldly in view of the enemy. The man started when he saw him and was just going to jump to his feet. He was afraid Tyrion might be one of his own officers and that he would get in trouble for sitting down. But before he could get up, Tyrion had dropped one knee beside him, saying, Art thou a warrior of Tisrox? May he live forever. It cheers my heart to meet thee among all these beasts and devils of Narnians. Give me thy hand, friend. Before he well knew what was happening, the Kalorman sentry found his right hand seized in a mighty grip. Next instant, someone was kneeling on his legs and a dagger was pressed against his neck. One noise and thou art dead, said Tyrion in his ear. Tell me where the unicorn is and thou shalt live. Behind the stable, oh, oh my master, stammered the unfortunate man. Good. Rise up and lead me to him. As the man got up, the point of the dagger never left his neck. It only traveled around, cold and rather ticklish, as Tyrion got behind him and settled it at a convenient place under his ear. Trembling, he went round to the back of the stable. Though it was dark, Tyrion could see the white shape of Jewel at once. Hush, he said. No. Do not nay. Yes, Jewel, it is I. How have they tied thee? Hobbled by all four legs, and tied with a bridle to a ring in the stable wall, came Jewel's voice. Stand here, sentry, with your back to the wall. So, now, Jewel, set the point of your horn against this Kalorman's breast. With the good will, sire, said Jewel. If he moves, writhe him through the heart. Then in a few seconds, Tyrion cut the ropes. With the remains of them, he bound the sentry hand and foot. Finally, he made him open his mouth, stuffed it full of grass, and tied him up from the scalp to the chin so he could make no noise, lowered the man into a sitting position, and set him against the wall. I have done thee some discourtesy, soldier, said Tyrion, but such was my need. If we meet again, I may happen to do thee a better turn. Now, Jewel, let us go softly. He put his left arm around the beast's neck and bent and kissed his nose, and both had great joy. They went back as quietly as possible to the place where they had left the children. It was darker in there under the trees, and he nearly ran into Eustace before he saw them. All's well, whispered Tyrion. A good night's work. Now for home. They turned and had gone a few paces when Eustace said, Where are you, Pole? There was no answer. Is Jill on the other side of you, sire? He asked. What? said Tyrion. Is she not on the other side of you? It was a terrible moment. They dared not shout, but they whispered her name in the loudest whispers they could manage. But there was no reply. 
Did she go from you while I was away? asked Tyrion. I didn't see or, or hear her go, said Eustace, but she could have gone without my knowing. She could be as quiet as a cat. You've seen for yourself. At that moment, a far-off drumbeat was heard. Jewel moved his ears forward. Dwarves, he said, and treacherous dwarves. Enemies as likely as not, muttered Tyrion. And here comes something on hooves much nearer, said Jewel. The two humans and the unicorn stood dead still. There was now so many different things to worry about that they didn't know what to do. The noise of hooves came steadily near, and then, quite close to them, a voice whispered, Hello? Are you all there? Thank heaven. It was Jill. Where the devil have you been to? said Eustace in a furious whisper, for he had been very frightened. In the stable, gasped Jill. But it was sort of gasp you've given when you're struggling with suppressed laughter. Oh, Eustace growled. You think it's funny, do you? Well, all I can say is, have you got Jewel, sire? Asked Jill. Yes, he's here. What is that beast with you? That's him, said Jill. But let's be off home before anyone wakes. And again, there came little explosions of laughter. The others obeyed at once, for all they had, for they had already lingered long enough in that dangerous place, and the dwarf drum seemed to have come a little nearer. It was only after they had been walking southward for several minutes that Eustace said, "Got him? What do you mean, the false Aslan?" said Jill. "What?" said Tyrion. "Where have you been? What have you done?" Well, sire, said Jill, as soon as I saw that you'd got the sentry out of the way, I thought I'd better have a look inside the stable and see what really is there. So I crawled along. It was as easy as anything to draw the bolt. Of course, it was pitch black inside and smelled like any other stable. Then I struck a light, and would you believe it? There was nothing at all but this old donkey with a bundle of lion skin tied onto his back. So I drew my knife and told him he'd have to come along with me. As a matter of fact, I needn't have threatened him with the knife at all. He was very fed up with the stable and quite ready to come. Weren't you, Puzzle Deer? Great Scott, said Eustace. Well, I'm jiggered. I was jolly angry with you a moment ago, and I still think it was mean of you to sneak off with the out the rest of us, but I must admit, well, I mean to say, well, it was a perfectly gorgeous thing to do. If she was a boy, she'd have to be knighted, wouldn't she, sire? If she was a boy, said Tyrion, she'd be whipped for disobeying orders. And in the dark, no one could see whether he said this with a frown or a smile. Next minute, there was a sound of rasping metal. What are you doing, sire? Drawing my sword to smite off the head of the accursed donkey, said Tyrion in a terrible voice. Stand clear, girl. Oh, no, don't, please, said Jill. Really, you mustn't. It wasn't his fault. It was all the ape. He didn't know any better, and he's very sorry. He's a nice donkey. His name is Puzzle, and I've got my arms around his neck. 
Jill, you are the bravest and most woodwise of all my subjects, but also the most disobedient. Well, let the donkey live. What have you to say for yourself, donkey? Me, sire? came the donkey's voice. I'm sure I'm very sorry. I've done wrong. The ape said Aslan wanted me to dress up like that, and I thought he'd know. I'm not clever like him. I only did what I was told. It wasn't any fun for me living in that stable. I don't even know what's been going on outside. He never let me out except for a minute or two at night. Some days they forgot to give me water, too. Sire, said Jewel, those dwarves are coming nearer and nearer. Do we want to meet them? Tyrion thought for a moment and then suddenly gave a great laugh out loud. Then he spoke, not this time in a whisper. By the lion, he said, I am growing slow-witted. Meet them? Certainly, we will meet them. We will meet anyone now. We have the donkey to show them. Let them see the thing they have feared and bowed to. We can show them the truth of the ape's vile plot. His secret is out. The tide's turned. Tomorrow we shall hang the ape on the highest tree in Narnia. No more whispering and skulking and disguises. Where are these honest dwarves? We have good news for them. When you have been whispering for hours, the mere sound of anyone talking out loud has a wonderfully stirring effect. The whole party began talking and laughing. Even Puzzle lifted up his head and gave a grand hee-haw, hee-haw, a thing the ape hadn't allowed him to do for days. Then he set off in the direction of the drumming. It grew steadily louder, and soon they could see torchlight as well. They came out on one of those rough roads, we should hardly call them roads at all in England, which ran through Lantern Waste. And there, marching sturdily along, were thirty dwarves, all with their little spades and mattocks all over their shoulders. Two armed Kalormans led the column, and two more brought up the rear. Stay, thundered Tyrion, as he stepped out onto the road. Stay, soldiers. Whither do you lead these Narnian dwarves, and by whose orders?